0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Great to have you with us on today's episode. We were asking, are you lonely? Completely overwhelmed by messages on this topic. We had two experts joining us in the studio who are on a bit of a mission to tackle this as a topic, but also... As an issue here in the UAE. We're also joined by Elena Muti as we were discussing overwhelm, some of the practical things you can put in place in your daily life to help you deal with that ever growing to do list. Discussing gene therapy, the role of that in treating some paediatric issues with a neurological doctor. And it was, of course, Pets and Vets, Dr. Dushko and Nurse Kim on hand from Mike's Vets to answer all of your pressing questions. Back in 1938, Harvard researchers embarked on a decades-long study to find out what makes us happy in life. The researchers gathered health records from more than 700 participants from all over the world and asked really detailed questions about their lives every two years. And contrary to what you might think, it's not career achievement, money, exercise, even a healthy diet. The most consistent finding we've learned through these 85 years of study – is that positive relationships keep us happier, healthier and help us live longer. We are talking loneliness this hour. Two experts joining us in the studio on Hand to Help. First, though, let's hear from Surgeon General Vivek Murthy explaining to the BBC... that he was amongst the millions of Americans who have experienced a profound sense of loneliness, especially during the pandemic.
2: When I went through medical school, I didn't really learn about loneliness and isolation. We didn't really understand it at that time as a health issue. But what I've learned since then is that it absolutely is. In addition to raising the risk uh, of depression, anxiety and suicide, uh, the increase in risk of physical illness like cardiovascular disease, dementia and stroke is profound. It also may surprise people to learn that the increased risk of premature death that's associated with social connection is on par with the risk that we see from smoking daily and greater than the risk we see associated with obesity. So this is a profound public health challenge.
1: Surgeon General Mirth. they're talking loneliness. In studio today, Kieran McBreen of CMB Coaching and Training. He's a professional certified executive and performance coach. He's an author, he's a podcast coach and a mental health advocate too. And Jasmine Navarro with us, a certified family and executive wellbeing expert. They have joined forces to take on the topic of loneliness. And I did a very unscientific study of my own earlier today on my Instagram stories. You can hop on over there to take part in that. Asking simply... Are you lonely? Last time I checked, 71% of respondents saying yes. Kieran McBreen, lovely to have you with us. Does that surprise you, my unscientific study?
3: Thanks for having me, Helen. Absolutely does not surprise me at all. Mm. Um, One of the first uh, questions I ask a client when they come to me is, are you lonely? And many, many, many times the answer is yes. We (sighs) live in a very challenging environment where expectations are high, and um, people are living a life that maybe maybe they're not, you know, been true to themselves and they're just mm. getting by and loneliness is certainly an ingredient that's part of their life.
1: Well before we start talking about the whys, the hows and the and the treatment, I guess we want a better phrase. Kiran, would you mind explaining a little bit about the work that you do and, and why you wanted to address the issue of loneliness personally?
3: Yeah, I mean, as you know, Helen, um, previously a lot of my work was with teenagers, and my book was to unearth the challenging topics of teenage life because I met so many lonely students. Um, Now I'm doing lots of work with adults, and I go into organisations and I deliver my, my coaching workshops. But um, on a one-to-one level, when I see people, you know, when people won't say that they're lonely in a group of people, but actually when you, when you speak to a client in a one-to-one environment, you hear how lonely they are and the pains associated with it. Mm-hmm. People living a life, as I said, people living a life that, that they're not enjoying, they're going to brunches, they're doing this, that, going, but actually don't want to, they're not connected to their real selves.
1: Jasmine, thank you for joining us today. Lovely to have you in the studio again. Would you mind just introducing a little bit about the work that you do and why this is a, a meaningful topic to you as well?
4: Thank you so much, Helen. Yes, I'm a coach as well and I support teenagers and I work with parents and adults as well, helping them you know, build that good relationship with themselves and have that connection. And exactly the same as Kieran in my experience, I have to say that every single client I've worked with, whether it's a teenager or an adult, they have all said that they felt lonely. And I agree with Kieran as well, where I think they're opening up because it's a safe space. It's a one-to-one. They don't feel ashamed because it's that safe space. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really sad and it affects all of us. I was really shocked
1: by that. More than 70% of people are responding to my deeply unscientific survey. Because as you say, we all, put on, we all put on a good front. We all do. And interestingly, I had some counselling recently and a lot of what I was talking about was coming back to maybe feeling other or outside as a child and, and some of the knock-on effect that can have on you as an adult. So I think it's really important, you know, you're both obviously experts when it comes to children and teens, but the impact it can have on you as an adult. Um, I wondered if you wouldn't mind defining for me, Kiron, in your kind of own words, What do you think loneliness means in today's context? How is it different to
3: social isolation? You have really put me on the spot there, (laughs) you know. Um, I would actually say, if if I had to summarise it, you know, maybe doing things that's that's not really something you want to do, but doing it because you have to. You know, not finding your own tribe, um, following, following people you know, if if, if, that, if that makes any sense. You know, you, they're, they're maybe physically not lonely, but actually in here mm-hmm. and in here, that's my head and my heart for those who's listening. Um, there's a big gap and that gap is that real connection.
1: And I think, you know, when we, I mean, I think a lot of people, I'm thinking about relationships now, will go, oh, just when I meet someone, when I get married, I won't feel lonely anymore. And I think, I hope people listening today don't experience this, but, You can be in a relationship, you can be in a marriage and be very lonely indeed. You can be surrounded by people at, you know, at at brunch or at school and feel very, very alone. What about about you, Jasmine? How do you think about loneliness in today's context?
4: For me, when I think of loneliness, I feel like it means when you feel completely misunderstood. You're the only one feeling this or you think you're the only one feeling this Mm -hmm. because maybe you're masking your emotions and you'll be tending to feel something else. And people are reacting to how you're pretending to be. But it's not true. That's that's what I come back to as well, this idea. I, I guess, and it, it
1: sounds deceptive, but of inauthenticity. Yes, of not yes. being able to say how you're feeling and to have that heard or seen by someone yes. and reflected back to you. You know, the, that lack of those me too moments of feeling misunderstood or just not heard at all. And we're going to be talking next about why and how it can happen, especially in such a connected world such as this. <music> Us in the studio to tackle the topic and indeed the issue of loneliness. Jasmine Navarro is here. She's a certified family and executive well-being expert, works with teens, works with parents. And Karon McBreen, also passionate in that area. He's from CMB Coaching and Training. He's a certified executive and performance coach. He's an author. He's a podcast host, podcast host, host goodness me, and a mental health advocate. Now, I've had an awful lot of messages on this and I have to say I'm not surprised. We're talking loneliness today, and we just heard earlier from Surgeon General Vivek Murthy talking about that loneliness is a modern health pandemic, equivalent as dangerous as smoking to our health. Um, I want to ask, and we are going to be talking techniques and strategies and connection after half past. But I wanted, to, I guess, to ask why? Why do we feel like loneliness is on the rise? Is there anything we can point to, Jasmine? In your in your opinion, whether it's society, family structure dare I say it, technology?
4: I think there's so many reasons. But I think now I I really think people are working harder than they've ever worked before. So they're spending so much time working because they have to or they think they have to that simply at the end of the day, they're just exhausted Mm. and they want to see their friends or they want to have those connections, but they're so tired that they just think, I'm just going to watch something on TV. I don't want to see anybody. And I I know I've been like that so many times. I am nodding along because there are people that I would dearly love to see. I just can't be bothered sometimes,
1: which is an yeah. awful thing to say. I, you know, I'm lucky enough to have some fantastic people in my life, but weeks can go by without seeing them. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, how is it November? I haven't seen you since September and you live down the road and I want to see you. you. Know. Um, what about you, Kieran? Anything you can point to and your experiences working with, with, with kids, with teens, with grown ups as well?
3: Yeah, I mean, in one way, I think we've got very lazy you know, we've got very lazy in, in, in arranging to meet people. Social media, you know, put, portrays that we're connecting to people. You know, you're, you're liking somebody's posts, You know, you're commenting on somebody's post.
1: And you feel like you're up to date on their lives, but
3: exactly. you're not really. You're absolutely not. And, and that deep conversation that, um, you know, you cannot, you cannot replicate that in a, in a, in a message. You know, we, we met, spoke earlier but a, a voice note. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, that would not work. You know, I would have to, it, at minimum, has to be a Zoom conversation. We are properly connected with that person. I think there's lots of solutions which we'll talk about later on, but Zoom is definitely one, but you just need to take action. You need to make that effort. And it takes one person, not everybody, but it takes one person to say, let's catch up at three o'clock tomorrow, for make example.
1: Let's make it happen. Well, we're just saying off air that, you know, I've had a few kind of like everybody, I'm sure, has had a few kind of very lonely moments. And the one that really stands out was when one of my best friends left Dubai and she was my person. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I would hang out at her house and we'd play Lego and get a Thai curry and would, you know, we'd go out and we'd moan about being single. And then, you know, all the all like she was my person. And when she left, I felt completely bereft because she was the one that I would, you know, Forward things to, or I'd call just on my way home. And I think the expat lifestyle can be very hard. You know, you can have these relationships, but sometimes they're not deep friendships. And I think you're very lucky if you live in a city where your best friends are. I think, you know, to be able to see that, I think that's really amazing. And on the topic of voice notes, anyone who WhatsApps me will see in my bio, it says no voice notes, I beg you. But I have some exceptions. And my my exception is, you know, my best friends who I've known since I was 12. And we. it's really useful for us. She's got three kids, a big job, a big house, a big dog. And it's kind of the only time that I, we can kind of catch up. Because when she's walking the dog, she'll send me a voice and be like, and like zap, zap! He's like, Zaps, like running off to, you know, chase a squirrel. And I'll send her voice notes when I get... This. And I do feel really connected to her through that because I feel like I've got someone that I can be a hundred percent myself with someone I've known for 30 years.
3: And wonderful. That works for you, you it, know, and it doesn't work for everyone. Exactly. And, and the, the interesting thing there is she might be in the woods seeing a squirrel or whatever, and she's taught of you. You know, a seed is planted. She's connected to you. Mm. And if sending you a voice note works for her, then wonderful. You know, and, and in other cases, people need to physically meet people, you know, Absolutely. Um, but you need to know what works for you. But it boils down to somebody taking action.
1: Message here saying feeling lonely in my marriage. My husband is very busy and prioritises his work and playing with the kids. Is this something you've
3: heard? Helen, I mean, I'm so passionate about being a good dad because I hear horrendous stories. And it's usually based around the topic of dad works away, you know, and there's, there's a lost child in this conversation and that's somebody who doesn't have a, a father figure in their life but also mum is the person doing all the work. You know, there's no, there's no more challenging occupation than being a mum. I
1: think I, I think it means, to, to my mind, it's about appreciation on both sides because a lot of the time dad does not want to be working those hours. And this is it. <laughs> and
3: when I do have a client who's a teenager, I work on something called perspectives. You know, we look at why dad is aware. How does dad feel about doing How amazing is dad for doing this for his family? Mm doesn't come easy.
1: And I think, you know, as we alluded to earlier, you know, we think about, you know, you meet someone and you get married and that's all of my, you know, I'm going to have my soulmate for life. And unfortunately, you can be very, very alone in a marriage and, you know, people change, that relationship changes, the dynamic can shift, priorities change, that lady there talking about, you know, work being a priority. Um, And I don't know what the answer is for that.
3: No, well, the answer certainly isn't sitting down watching it like an American... Romantic movie, and thinking, Oh, I felt like this 20 years ago. You know, <laughs> Reese Witherspoon is not your friend in this situation. <laughs> reality kicks in, and in any marriage, you know, we have to communicate mm-hmm. and we have to be, be there for what the person needs us to, you know, to, to, to serve in, in, in one capacity. But um, marriages are very lonely because people have this wonderful kind of fantasy of how marriage is, and reality takes over, mm-hmm. you know. And, and we need to work with each other because there's lots of lonely people out there in a marriage. The other person doesn't realise the pain the other person is in. The conversation think, has to start.
1: I think that expectation piece is really, really important. And also something we've spoken about in relationship conversations on the show before is not expecting your partner to be a mind reader. Um, it's, a, it's a really, really dangerous trap to, to fall into. We've got a lot of messages we are going to be coming to um, very soon indeed. Talking loneliness on the show this afternoon, Um, Kieran McBreen of CMB Coaching and Training and Jasmine Navarro with us today. She's a certified family and executive well-being expert. They've joined forces really to tackle something that I've, to be honest, I've been really surprised that so many people are affected by this. Surprised and saddened, truthfully. I did a little Instagram poll earlier. 74% of people responded that yes, they are lonely. So let's talk about tackling that Jasmine, tell us a little bit about what you guys have put together and what that looks like and why.
4: Yeah, so um, me and Kieran, obviously, we we do a lot of similar work with teenagers and parents, and we meet often and reflect about our work and things like that. And we both started realising a lot of our clients were coming to us and saying that they were lonely. And we just thought what can we do? What can we do about this? Maybe we can provide that safe space for them. So we started organizing events for parents at first, where they come, they share their challenges, we offer them, we show them different coaching techniques, we listen to them, we hear them. But then we started getting uh, messages from other people as well. Like, can I join? You know, I would like to participate in these real conversations. So we thought, let's just open it to everyone. Like, and that's how it started. So now it's once a month, Kieran. is that right?
3: Yeah, once a month. Obviously, um, down the line, it'd be great if we have it more often, you know, but we want to keep it yeah. at once a month. Um, it's in the Hill House Brasserie. A uh, lovely coffee, by the way, for everyone who wants to come. And um, it really is a very simple morning for us. We just facilitate conversations.
1: You make it sound simple, but why is that so important? What what can come up and, and how do you guide? Um, and here's the thing. I think it takes some serious guts to put yourself in that room and to say, "I'm I'm struggling, or I'm lonely, or I'm looking for something." So you must need to do you need to handle that
3: carefully. You do. I mean, you'd be empathetic to the, the environment in the sense that you know you want to make it safe. It's non-judgmental. It's confidential, and um, and we lead by example. You know, so Jasmine may start, I may start, and we talk about our own challenges. And then, you know, you see people nodding their head and then they want to jump in and we go around the room and people just share what's bothering them. Mm-hmm. And then we do a coaching, um, coaching model, essentially, where we show people how to ask a couple of powerful coaching questions and then we pair them up and we get them to go. And Helen, you wouldn't believe it, we actually have to kick them out at the end. <laughs> really? I <laughs> can so oh, shut them up. Because, you know, when people start talking, when people start sharing their problems, their challenges, you know... They can talk for hours because they haven't been listened. And this is the platform they're there to be listened to. Mm -hmm.
1: Let's go to the text line, if you don't mind. 4001, if you've got any questions, comments, any issues you want to share. Lorraine saying, join animal welfare groups. Great way to meet people. Um, And the message here saying, can you define comfort zone? Is it an emotional thing or a physical? And I think that's a big stumbling block, a big mental barrier for a lot of people of going, Well, you just need to go out and meet people. Get out of your comfort zone. It's it's easier said than done, Jasmine. It
4: is, it is easier said than done. But I I think when you get to that point, when you you just it's more painful to stay by yourself then you do take that chance and you do leave your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds really harsh, but I think when you get that desperate and you have to meet people, you, you you do whatever it takes. I got out of my comfort zone about six weeks ago,
1: and I signed up for an improv class at the, the theatre. <gasps> Yeah. Despite talking on the radio to lots of people every afternoon, I was shaking with nerves. Shaking. Absolutely. I mean, I nearly sat in my car and didn't go and made up some lie about traffic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And um, did I meet people that I'm like, oh, my goodness, we're going to be lifelong friends? Maybe, but probably not. Have I met people where I've learned about different nationalities, different ways of life, just had a really good laugh? Yeah, massively. And I think sometimes I've signed up for the next level and I was nervous going to that one as well. But it does kind of sometimes you have to take a leap. Um, A message here. No name. You can be anonymous saying I've been living in the UAE for almost 20 years. I had very close friends who moved back to their home countries about six years ago. And I still haven't been able to make any friends. I've always been a loner, but it's really started to bother me because I am so lonely. I've started to think perhaps there's something wrong with me. Why am I not able to make friends? Any suggestions?
3: Kieran. Well, straight away, this, this lady on Fair Play to her takes or lots. Oh, a man, of, we don't know. Yep. Yeah. Oh, did I? Oh, excuse me. Yeah. It <laughs> um, takes great guts to say that. And um, she's a, he, this person, <laughs> excuse me, has already identified that they're a loner. You know, and that's based on past experiences, I'm guessing. And we need to shift that off. We need to get away from this. We need to start fresh. We need to start looking at at, at things that we want to do. Who do we want to be? If you're going to label yourself as a loner, you're going to be a loner. If you're going to label yourself as something else, you'll be that. So you need to start putting energy towards that. So a very simple question to ask is, you know, where is it you want to be in in six months time? And start working towards that. Very, very simply from a loneliness perspective, Start looking at doing things that you'd like to do because you're going to meet like-minded people. You're going to connect with your tribe. You're going to enjoy it. If we enjoy doing something, we'll do more of it. If we do more of it, we're engaging more. Mm-hmm. We're developing our communication skills. And then behind that all, you know, we're, we're eliminating the amount of loneliness. Not just doing something for the sake of it, but doing it because it adds to her or him. Mm-hmm.
1: It's... <sighs> I think that's a really common message. I think a lot of people go, and actually, I've had another one here, no name, saying, "I have many friends, but if I'm honest, it's pretty surface." Any insights on creating stronger bonds in such a busy, transient place? And I think I, I know, I know what you're going to say: vulnerability. About you, can't have good connections until you're until you're being vulnerable. You can have some great conversations. You can have some great nights out around the table, or you know, at a restaurant, or, or doing something. And that can be really enjoyable. But if you're not having these conversations, and they don't need to be like big, negative, heavy ones, but if you're not, you know, maybe identifying one or two people and saying, you know, do you want to go for a beach walk one morning? Or, you know, I really want to go and see this film. Do you want to go and get dinner? And like, you know, kind of making an effort to create these more meaningful bonds, then, yeah, it will probably still quite stay quite surface.
3: Absolutely. You know, you're not going to have a deep conversation in a bar or a restaurant, you know. Um, I'm a big believer of just asking people to go for a walk, go for a walk, take action and, and start testing the water with these conversations. You know, you don't need to, you might meet somebody and it's very common, you know, here in Dubai, Helen, where people meet somebody. And my wife does this a lot, where there's a bit of an excitement that we've got something in common, you know, and, you know, there might be a bit of communication on social media. But the reality is you don't know that person yeah. and you're not going to jump in and, and talk about something meaningful and deep about you and share share something that you might be struggling with immediately. You need to build trust first.
1: Here's a question to both of you. Where and how have you met some of your good friends here in Dubai, Jasmine?
4: Oh, well, wow, that's a good question. Listen, the methods, the places, the means. I think, how, how have I met people at networking events? Put yourself out there in those situations. I think so. Yeah, putting myself out there. Kieran, exactly. Yeah, I'm
3: just trying to think, though. Again, you put me on the spot. <laughs> um, for me, sport, yeah, you know, it, it is very, um, very important to me. It's, it's, it's something I've done forever. You know, and a lot of my connections, we would have, we would have something in common. That could be being Irish, you know, um, I could be playing Gaelic football, that could be playing paddle tennis, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the trust. You know, when you get to the trusting stage, it's just deeper than that, it doesn't matter where you're from. Can you trust this person you're speaking to? Yeah,
1: I'm just, I, I was just thinking then, I met a good friend who I'm seeing tonight to go to the cinema in the car park at Dubai, <laughs> Dubai Festival City Mall. Because she asked me about my stroller, <laughs> got chatting. Um, I met, I've met a couple of people through social media, which sounds bizarre. But, you know, if someone comes up to me and says, oh, I recognise you, come over and like, join me for a coffee in a coffee shop, through the kids... I have to say, you know, that, that's that's been a good one. But, well, as you're saying, I mean, you know, cl- people I climb Kilimanjaro with, people who've seen me at my most vulnerable, <laughs> have come on to become really, really good friends now. We've run out of time, but I want to just quickly come back to your meetups, because um, I think it's a really, really valuable thing to come back to if someone has just tuned in. If you're looking to make connections, have some real conversations. And that doesn't mean about, you know, coming together and crying for an hour. It's about, you know, <coughs> having some fun together, finding something in common, developing some of those friendships. When is the next one and how can people get involved, Kieran?
3: Yeah, Helen, the next one is the 8th of December. And that's at 8.30 to 10 o'clock in the Hill House to Dubai Hills Golf Club.
1: With right. your permission, can I, send you the, can I send people the link for
3: that? Absolutely. Just get <laughs> okay. in touch on our social media or the link, you know. But, but it, this is for everybody. And this is come and have a chat and chill out. You may not have a topic to discuss. Wonderful. That's even better.
1: Okay. If you want to send me the word meet... I will send you the link for that next one is on the 8th of December. And I have to say, seeing more and more great communities popping up from, you know, women who thrive to, you know, mentality, coffee with an expat. Um, But as we alluded to, sometimes you need to get a little bit out of your comfort zone and there could be some great friendships on the other side. This might be a bit of a silly question. But are you feeling overwhelmed? <laughs> Every person I speak to at the minute is completely frazzled. From parents to business owners, entrepreneurs to employees, it is crazy season here in the UAE. And we're bringing in some help today. Elena Mooty is with us today from A Growth. She's all about blending business and well-being for business owners and entrepreneurs. And she says, without your health, you have no wealth. It's true and you don't realise it until you're sick and you're feeling like you actually are paralysed in mental or physical illness and you can't do anything then, Lena. Thank you for being with us today. How are you?
5: I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to get into things today. Yeah,
1: I'm excited to hear a little bit more about you before we offer up some advice on this. What do we need to know about you and I guess your experiences that's led you to be on this mission?
5: Okay, I will try and keep it short and sweet (laughs) because this is something that's progressed over years. Um... Long story short, 2019, I just hit a point where I thought I was lost, unsure, I didn't know what I was doing, um, overwhelmed in all senses of business health and relationships. And that is where Tripola was kind of born, let's say. The seed was planted back then. Tripola is three pillars of your life. Um, And uh, fast forward very quickly to today, I have wanted to, as you said, blend business and well-being together to help either business owners or um, entrepreneurs, working professionals, not just to grow their businesses, but also to grow in their well-being and manage, as you said, the stress, the overwhelm, um, mindset blocks, confidence, things that come with running a business or Mm. building your career. It must be very hard for a lot
1: of people to get that balance because especially when it's your own business, you know, and you think, it's it's my time, it's got to be my priority. And ultimately, if you're not looking after yourself, you, I mean, the the burnout topic is, is very real right now. Um, I am really against that kind of hustle hard culture. It, I find it a really big turn off. But I don't say that as an entrepreneur. When I was a freelancer, I had to, you know, it was a very different mindset. What are some of the challenges that you're hearing from people um, regarding that sense of overwhelm or balance or lack of?
5: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of people who I have come across, as you said, are constantly saying that they do feel overwhelmed. And again, as entrepreneurs, you do have to hustle. Mm. There is no hiding that you have to work hard. You have to put in the hours and the grind, of course. But again, the hustle culture is something that I think then does drive people towards burnout, breaking down, giving up and everything. Um, People who I talk with and have come across and have worked with, again, it's coming from a place, like you said, of not knowing how to balance that. Um, But really, I I like to try and say, too, sometimes it's not so much as balancing, but just sort of either aligning and and blending the two together. Um, How? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So the thing is, I was actually having this conversation yesterday with someone where you do have to have a bit of a talk with yourself and almost ego by the fact that you will have to make a sacrifice along the way in one of those three things, perhaps when it comes to if you have to ask yourself, how important is your health to you? And that is why my motto is without your health, you have no wealth. Because I believe that obviously, if you push yourself so far, you're not going to be able to grow your business, you're not going to be able to make that money or provide for your family or friends or whatever it is that you want to do. So putting health back to the top of your priority list, along with the other tasks that come with the business is so important.
1: When we're talking about overwhelm, Elena, how do you describe it? And what can it look like?
5: I think for me, overwhelm, and again, even just with what I see in in people and, and clients who I work with as well, it's, it's chaos. It's a bit, um, it's that chaotic energy, not sure what to do, a bit of procrastination, um, feeling low, maybe feeling stuck, and just not then knowing where to even begin to do anything. Um, and that's where you can start to put in certain practices that help you to reduce that overwhelm
1: we're going to be talking about those practices next some <laughs> practical daily tips or maybe some, just something to have in your toolkit when you have that and i know exactly what we're talking about that kind of chaos i always think about about it as feeling scattered speaking to us from triple growth <laughs> Elaine Matthew is with us today from Triple A Growth. It's all about blending business and well-being. She says, without your health, you have no wealth. We've got a message on the text line here for you, Elena. And um, no name on it. And whether you are getting in touch across any aspect of the show, you can of course leave your name off. We completely understand. Message here saying, um, thanks for this. I'm self-employed, but I have to work every day to keep up. I'm trying to not take on too much work, but still can't keep up. Recently failed my uni's master's module, which means I need to redo the work for that. And parenthood is stressing me out too. I just can't get clarity. Any advice for keeping on top of everything? I need to streamline my life. Oh, I think I I can hear people (laughs) around Dubai (laughs) nodding along to this. Um, Streamlining your life. This sounds like an impossible dream. What are some of the techniques, practices that you've advised clients to incorporate into their lives? Or perhaps things you do yourself, Elena?
5: Yeah. Okay. So um, in terms of streamlining and helping, I suppose, what is task management in to some extent, what I do with clients and what I have done even in the past and what I do myself is take some time out, even if it's 30 minutes, if you can. Parenthood, I'm not in that just yet. So I know that that's another ball to juggle for people. However, 30 minutes, if you can, to just sit and prioritize every single task that you think that you have in your head. Because first of all, if you're carrying things in your head anyway, that's going to cause more overwhelm for you. So if you haven't already sat to write things out in front of you and make it tangible, that is step one. Step two, and I did this quite recently with a client because I saw them just frantically wondering what to do. They had four pages worth of tasks was to sit and color code prioritize, so the traffic light system, I call it, um, of all your tasks, and that's red, yellow, and green. The really, really imminent ones, ask yourself at the top, what do I need to do that's going to move the needle forward just by that little 1%. Those are your red tasks. Those have to be done within the next one to two days. No, um, nothing's stopping you from doing those. Yellow, again, that's your middle range that can maybe wait a few more days. And then again, green is, can even be pushed to the following week. Those are things that might not necessarily be helping you move the needle just yet. You might have to get those red and yellow tasks done beforehand and then you move on to the green and the cycle continues then into your following weeks and hopefully that does just help reduce at least a bit of everything that's going on inside. I've
1: been listening to that so intently and I'm sure you could probably watch my brain going, okay, that's red, that's red, that's (laughs) yellow,
5: that's green Um,
1: because I'm so guilty of that. I've got a kind of a to-do list on my notes phone section Mm -hmm. but it's it's more of a brain dump than than anything organized and i think the the danger is when you haven't actually taken the time to prioritize it it all just feels completely intangible and and chaotic and then that kind of panic exacerbates you know this feeling that i'm not in control and i can't do anything um I remember at university, my mum always saying to me, you're just baby steps. I was like, but I've got my dissertation. And crying down the phone, she's like, okay, well, you know, what can you do today? You know, it's like kind of the baby bites of the elephant because when you start sometimes looking at one giant project or, you know, like I was saying, it's crazy season right now. If I start to think about work, events, family stuff, you know, Christmas stuff, I think my head would fall off. But all I, I think all many of us can do is think about what can I do in this next day? what is possible in the next, you know, couple of hours even. Yeah. And And building your confidence by actually starting to take some things off.
5: Yeah, exactly. You kind of work off each one. And like you said, looking at what's in front of you from the start, um, it's hard or i think always people say i don't have the time to do this this and this and a lot of us are always juggling loads of things and yes time is of the essence as always but it's again about having the discipline and the prioritization to just carve out that little bit of time even if it's 10 minutes then to just start prioritizing the red tasks for example <laughs> break feel- that make those baby steps into even more baby steps and help yourself
1: i feel like you're speaking to myself and <laughs> i'm like i haven't got time to organise myself as I watch another hour of Married at First Sight. I wanted to ask you about some mindfulness because I feel like that word's kind of lost a bit of meaning over the last couple of years. Um, And how you advise clients about looking after that mind-body connection to ultimately make them more productive, make them feel more in control. Any daily practices there, Elena?
5: Yes. So, agreed. The term mindfulness, self-care, self-love, all those things, I think, have been somewhat diluted over the years and maybe that could be down to multiple factors but um, for me mindfulness and again what I do and work with clients is blends into two things and it's one of the things I I talk about is your bounce back blueprint. So when you fall off track what are your specific things that get you back on track because what works for you Helen might not work for me necessarily. So finding those certain mindful then um, practices that you can do this can be journaling meditation i know that these are things that people hear all the time but i i promise you that they work and i've had people who i've told it to they would roll their eyes at it before they then tried it and gave it time that's the other thing you have to give things some time to actually set in once they actually implemented them they came back to me and said i feel so much better for this this has helped so uh meditation journaling uh, listening to certain podcasts that might educate you on certain things watching videos reading books going for a walk. I know in Dubai it's a bit difficult as well. Not right, Depending no. on the time of year. Yeah. It's glorious now. <laughs> Thank goodness it's coming into <laughs> winter. Obviously summer months it's different here. Um, going to the beach. Anything that again what I say in terms of your bounce back blueprint are things that light you up from the inside and it's things that lift you from a state that's down here low to up here high mm-hmm. again. And when you start to learn and identify those things about yourself, that becomes your own blueprint. That gets you back on track.
1: And having a note of those I find really helpful. And I'm having, having a kind of a note of those that you've got you know what's in your toolkit. Yeah. And I've had this when I've had, you know, times of anxiety really, or if you know, I I think a lot of people are feeling really emotionally, you know, dysregulated right now of things that you can go to tracks that you like as you're saying i i I use that insight timer i I don't know if you ever use Mm -hmm. that for guided meditations and there's a couple that i've saved that are like nine minute ten minute twelve minutes and i'm like that is what i need to get to right now any recommended resources mentioned some podcasts there what do you like yeah
5: Um, there's an app that I use called superhuman app, and it's meditations. But again, this is for anyone who says I can't meditate, I can't sit still, I have too many thoughts, one, exactly the kind of person that needs to do it. Mm -hmm. But two, it's more of these um, pep talks as such that they actually are. It's not a case of sitting and having no thoughts for me meditation is, and exactly but meditation is so important because it helps you to actually start controlling those thoughts and being able to as we were talking about off off uh, compartmentalizing things mm. and knowing that if that thought comes in you can know you have the mindfulness to actually just put it to one side, let another thought come into place, and you start managing those. And this particular app, Superhuman, um, has so many different things for when you're walking, running, cleaning. And I think there are new mothers ones. So this woman has created this to actually fit into your lifestyle.
1: Sounds okay. I know what I'm going to be doing during the headlines. (laughs) Elena, thank you so much for your help. Message here from Brian saying, love the traffic light priority idea. If everything is a priority, then nothing is a priority. So getting real, getting honest, taking control. For anyone that wants to find out more about you, about Tripler Growth, what's the best way of getting in
5: touch? Yeah, um, you can visit the website, obviously. So it's triplergrowth.com or on Instagram you can reach out to me myself it's elena.mutty otherwise our own business page is again triple underscore growth
1: if you want to send me the word grow um, on 4001 I'd be very happy to send you those links so you can have a nosy. Elena thank you so much thank you very much I think we're going, going to see a rise in uh, felt tip sales red, <laughs> yellow and green across the UAE and great to get your thoughts on this as well um, Anil saying in terms of prioritising work I use my email inbox to, as a guide on what needs to be done I don't keep separate lists or notes but manage my work via the inbox keep it simple refer to one list at one time and it helps me stay on top of things and neil thank you my friend sophie does something uh, with post-it notes so she will write at the beginning of every single day a stack of post-its so those are her tasks to get through that day grabs them does them puts it in the bin when it's done whatever works for you but taking control and finding that toolkit is absolutely crucial Talking health, um, get ready for the science bit. We're talking gene therapy now, specifically treating pediatric neurological disorders. Now, this was previously only available to pa- uh, patients in the USA, but now here in the UAE through MedCare for patients from around the world. And joining us is pediatric neurologist Dr. Vivek Mandada, who's with us from MedCare Women and Children's Hospital. I can't even begin to imagine what your job involves, <laughs> Doctor Pediatric Neurologist. Um, I, before we start talking about gene therapy, I'd love to get an idea about maybe some of the most common neurological problems that you see in children here in the UAE. You've worked internationally, but are yeah. there any kind of geographical trends? What's keeping you busy?
2: Um, well, uh, working as a pediatric neurologist, you know, we do see all sort of different uh, spectrum. So as simple as, you know, my child is having headache, he's not focusing properly, not speaking properly, to even the complex neurological disorder like cerebral palsy, epilepsy, and very kind of a syndromes, rare syndromes. Mm. That's a kind of huge spectrum, you know. Um, so sometimes it's just even relieving the anxiety there's nothing wrong with your child to something like a breaking bad news and you know, giving that uh, bad news to the parents. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of spectrum we're talking about in terms of pediatric technology. So it can be as simple as headache to even severe epilepsies. It's
1: headaches in kids really freak me out, though. They, yeah. they really they really <laughs> do, because they don't seem to get them very often. Yeah. Well, it, it, it always gives me a bit of a shock, to be honest. That's right. Um, so I wonder then, when we're thinking about gene therapy in particular Mm -hmm. what are some of the conditions that it can be used for and then we're going to talk about the how
2: yeah okay so i'll just simplify what gene therapy is first because you know when we're talking gene therapy as the name suggests is for the genetic disorders so anything which you're born with a faulty gene or a missing gene and that as a result causes a condition so one of the conditions what we're talking about or what we're offering the gene therapy is called spinal muscular atrophy so there's a gene which is faulty Which doesn't produce the protein which is required for the muscles and functioning of the muscles. So, what gene therapy does is either you give the missing gene externally, or you can edit the gene, uh, but in the, uh, you know, and just make it functional.
1: You make it it sound like we just edit the gene, we just add this in. Okay, so I understand the the how. No, I don't understand the how. Mm -hmm. I understand the what, I suppose, but the how. I mean, how on earth do you? edit okay. a gene.
2: So there various technology Again, I don't want to go into more technical parts because, you know, a gene has a function of producing protein. A gene has to have kind of a start button, a functional part, a stop button. So if some part is missing, you have the technology to do that internally. There are some conditions they're working on it, you know. So one of the things like stem cell thing, which they can do, take out the cells, edit it, infuse it back to the same person.
1: Hang on, slow down. Yeah. And you say infuse it back <laughs> to the same person. So yeah. what you're taking blood... Yeah. And then tinkering with it and then putting it and back And then in? putting
2: it back again. That's right. That's one aspect. But what we are doing for this condition called spinal muscular atrophy is taking the external gene, putting it in a virus, right, and then infusing in the blood. So the virus by its own property goes into the cell, bursts out, and the gene is then released in the cell and then starts producing the functional protein.
1: How do you decide who's a good candidate for gene therapy then, doctor?
2: So, you know, you need to have the gene therapy for that condition. So one of the conditions I mentioned is spinal muscular atrophy. We're soon going to have for a condition called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So you need to have the genetic confirmation of the disease. Okay, your person is missing that gene, the person is symptomatic or pre-symptomatic, whatever, and then the gene therapy is available for that person. The multiple kind of parameters which we decide, and there's a multidisciplinary team we function as. You know, the child has got seen by different doctors. Make sure he's a suitable candidate to go for that. Um, because there's a virus attached to that, you know, the gene therapy, we don't want antibodies in the blood. Otherwise, it will fight against the virus.
1: What about age of the child? When does that come into play? You know, you pediatric neurologist, so that yep. presumably would take you up to eighteen. But as a child gets older, does that mean that perhaps that might not be as effective?
2: That's right. Because most of these conditions are, you know, progressive conditions. And more the age of the child is you can imagine, the worse is the condition. Mm-hmm. Because you're then playing with the existing pool of the good cells, you know, those who are still existing, not dead. And more the numbers of good cells, the better is the result. So Early, you treat these children better. Is the outcome that's kind of a bottom line thing for? Them. I
1: guess what I'm kind of. It, it, I mean, it sounds like the stuff of mm-hmm. you know the future. How long does it take to start to see? Is it a stabilization of a condition? Is it even a reversal yeah. of a condition? And you know what kind of time frame when we're looking talking about SMA there, the spinal muscular atrophy. Yeah.
2: So again, uh, you know, in, in terms of SMA, our experience is the earlier you treat. So for example, I've treated uh, you know children as, as younger as three or four months because they were tested as a newborn screening program and before even the symptoms started we have treated them and they're growing just as a normal children because you know we have just treated as soon as possible before even the symptoms start wow. as opposed to some children who are treated like six year old, they're more kind of stabilising because we're dealing with very low pool of the living cells which are kind of, uh, you know, having this functional gene. So it's kind of big spectrum, it depends on how complex you, you know the condition is. The earlier we treat, the child is absolutely fine, they're growing as if they don't have any condition.
1: This is absolutely mind-boggling. Do you know what I find really funny is I drive past your hospital <laughs> like every single day on my way to work and I find it so inspiring. I can find it. I, I genuinely do to think of the impact that you can be having on a child or a yeah. family's life. Just as I whiz past know, indeed, on yeah. Shakeside Road, it is. It's really incredible work. So yeah. thank you for coming in and, and sharing that, um, Dr. Vivek If anyone wants to find out more about you as a pediatric neurologist, and as I said, you've, you you're know, you know working with families on ADHD, on autism, yeah. cerebral palsy, seizures, and more. Would it be okay if I share your details? Absolutely, okay.
2: absolutely. Do you want
1: to send me the word doc? I will send you Dr. Pavac's okay. details. Thank you so much. Thank
2: you, Helen.
1: Dr. Pavac speaking to us, a pediatric neurologist at Medcare Women and Children's Hospital.
0: This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.
4: This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer.
0: With ProPlan, groundbreaking science, life changing nutrition.
1: Joining us now from Mike's Vets on Hassa Street here in Dubai. Not one, but two experts. Dr. Dushko is with us and Kimberly Bellis, vet, nurse and manager, on hand to help with any issues, any questions, queries, clarifications that you might need about your furry friends and how to keep them happy and healthy. Great to have you both with us today. Before we get to the text line, and trust me, it's going to be a busy one today. um, Dr. Dushko, I wanted to ask you about your menagerie. What animals do you have at home? Can you tell us a little bit about your gang?
0: Uh, unfortunately, at the moment, Aww. since I moved here to UAE, not before I used, I had a husky for like 13 years in my home country. Mm-hmm. So Is there, it was like a very good friendship. It, Thank you.
1: Uh, well, it sounds like there's there's room in your heart and your home for a, for a new fairy friend. And I'm sure there's lots that you come across in the clinic all the time that... Um, must be capturing your attention, doctor. So thank you for being with us today. And, Kimberly, how about you? Have the temptation to take home any patients
6: uh, overtaken you? Um, well, unfortunately for my husband um, and the rest of my family, <laughs> that that is generally the way it goes in our house. So at the moment, we have got eight cats. Wow. Um, unfortunately, we, we did have nine, but uh, unfortunately, actually, one of our cats is missing at the moment. Oh, so... Uh, Yes. So we're, so we're on the search for for Thomas and um, we're still looking for him and hopeful. But at the moment, we do have eight cats at home and we did have a dog. Um, but Unfortunately, he passed away at the age of 18, 18. Um, earlier this year. Yeah. So he had he had a long life. Um,
1: Kimberly, I'm going to give you the power of the microphone. What do we need to know about Thomas in terms of where he went missing and any kind of distinguishing features just so
6: we can get the power of Dubai Eye behind you there? Oh, lovely. Thank you. So um, we're at the moment staying in uh, Arabian Ranches 1 and we live in Al Reem 1. He had his dinner on Halloween evening about five o'clock. And as he usually goes out for a wonder, he went out and he never came back. I mean, and he has just disappeared. No one's seen him. We've been giving posters. Um, he's a very large, about seven and a half kilo grey and white cat. Um, extremely friendly and um, very missed, unfortunately, you know, and I've got two kids, so obviously they miss him dearly. And yeah, he's, he's, it's just unusual, you know, when, when they just sort of disappear into thin air and security normally are great around the ranches, you know, they know people's pets and they know, you know, the goings on in the community and unfortunately no one has seen him at all he's just completely you know disappeared. Oh gosh oh, I'm really really sorry to hear that I honestly am Kim and yeah.
1: um, hopefully someone listening today might know something, see something so Thomas Yeah, thank you. Well, yeah. thank you and thank you for, for being with us today I know you're incredibly busy both of you. Um, it's, it's funny what the topic that you suggested for the show this afternoon because in our boardroom here in Dubai I, early today there was a first training se- first aid training session going on And I could see the mannequins. I could hear hear it going on. And you wanted to bring our awareness to providing first aid to pets in distress. Mm -hmm. So can Mm -hmm. I ask you a little bit, um, perhaps to both of you, um, what are some of the common issues that might occur in the home that we as pet owners need to be prepared for?
6: Okay, so what I'll, I think, Dushko, maybe if you can sort of say what you see and then I can sort of speak more on uh, on the rescue side of things obviously what what we see um, i'm so i'm sure dushko's the one that sees them coming in you know in emergencies when something's been consumed at home or something like that maybe dushko what what are some of the issues that we know are, okay, well, it's not preventable but certainly
1: you know um, we need to be tuned into
0: yeah but uh, not not the most uh, not the most case but uh, very often they will be afraid of some uh, loud noises uh, so I was thinking, what could be like a good way to deal with that one? For the cats, uh, there are some uh, sprays with pheromones, so we can. Uh, we uh, owners should have always um, those kind of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, those kind of sprays with them. So, uh, and also, if there's some uh, fireworks or some loud um, loud noises, uh, it's always good, for example, to. Close all doors and, for example, uh, put on some music mm-hmm. that is uh, that the pets are used on. That like daily we are listening or turn on the. Uh, otherwise, uh, if there's something uh, more severe like uh, uh, symptoms like vomiting, panting, or similar, uh, then definitely uh, there is not too much that they can do except maybe to um, in in case of some wounds they maybe can. Uh, uh, just clean it, but uh, never go for some alcohol or some very irritant solution because it can cause like uh, pain and irritation and even more uh, get it worse. So mm. just uh, soap and water and um, only maybe normal saline is always good to have.
1: Dr. Dushko, with us today. Um, we have got him and Kim joining us from Mike's Vets. This is Pets and Vets on
0: Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan.
1: Great to have you with us, two experts on the air with us this afternoon Dr. Dushko and vet nurse Kimberly Bellis speaking to us from Mike's Vet there on Hesse. I'm going to go to the text line because it is a busy one. Um, Maybe a question for you, Kim. Bella's been in touch saying, How often should you clean a cat's ears? Do you need to do it? And if so, how and how often?
6: So generally we find with cats, um, and also it's the same with dogs, sometimes, I mean, especially with dogs, it can also it can also be breed dependent, really, depending on how hairy their ear canals are. And sometimes that needs to be addressed by a vet or a, a very experienced groomer. Um, so when it comes to cats, there are, it depends. So I've got eight cats at home. Some of them require it more than others. Um, and if you notice a lot of buildup, in the cat's ears, I would definitely recommend coming down to the vets and letting us have a look really, because sometimes it could be a fungal infection. Sometimes it could be an inner ear infection, which could be bacterial, or the other option is it could be ear mites. Okay. And unfortunately, what happens with ear mites is um, it then can lead into a bacterial infection. So we definitely say if you're finding that you're having to clean out your cat's ears quite regularly... And you know you're finding quite a lot of that black and brown dirt. I definitely say get down into the vets because generally your ears of your cat should be quite clean. Okay,
1: good to know. Really hope that helps. Mm. Um, And Dr. Dushko, we've had a message here on on a couple of messages about cats and diets. If that's okay, Gino saying is raw meat and raw salmon okay for cats to eat? And then we'll move on to some treats. So raw food and cats. What does the science say?
7: Uh, everything depends from the young age if uh, we start from young age but definitely should be um, should be meat that was um, uh, tested that there is no some parasites because uh, uh, some raw meat if it was not uh, treated with uh, high temperature Mm -hmm. it can contain some uh, cysts of some parasites that can be then developed uh, and even can be dangerous even for the humans some so-called cysticercosis so definitely uh The the meat that is um, um, tested and um, uh, in in certain uh, situations we can go, but uh, 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 the raw food overall, it's uh, uh, described like not sufficient with the the vitamins and minerals. Mm -hmm. So if we're going for the raw food, it's always good to go with some vitamin supplementation, if not daily, then two to three times a week. Uh, otherwise yeah the most important is that is uh, actually past the inspection and control of the uh, uh, of the food so definitely shouldn't go for uh, for the raw that is not attested or without uh, knowing origin
1: i think that's really wise words we think about just how much you know r&d is done by some of the the food companies to make sure you have got the exact balance of um, of, of nutrients for specific ages and breeds and and medical conditions. On that note, um, I wanted to ask you a question about my own pets, if that's all right, doctor. So I've got two Cocker Spaniels. They are seven and ten and a half. And the older boy, Jarvis, has a kidney problem. So he's on a special renal diet. So, Okay, we, very good. Yeah, he's, he's doing well. He's, he's got a heart condition. So, you know, unfortunately, our, our days yeah, with Jarvis are, are with numbered. The, I know. Um, but we ran out of his food last week and the vet didn't have it in. So he was using, eating... Lucy's food which again is just like a generic adult dog food. And I was wondering is that going to harm him or is it just not going to be as good for him as a specific diet for that medical condition?
7: Yeah. So the food we are at the same time uh, a little bit lucky and a little bit unfortunate because for the uh, uh, real effect of the of the food we should have at least not even few weeks but few months maybe 9 weeks, 12 weeks for the uh, for the effect to start to build up. So uh, in the situation when you need to go for the special diet, um, for example, for the renal or kidney, it should be at least few weeks, like six weeks minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, and the opposite side, it's good when uh, they change the food, it will not immediately start to harm them good. because a few days uh, will not make like a, a huge and important difference. But the uh, yeah, definitely shouldn't stay or at least to go for the food that is uh, similar in ingredients and then the percentage uh for example in this um, situation uh, better to go for some uh, uh aged or seven plus nine plus uh, um, even like sterilized or neutered it can be a good um, substitution for a few days one week even up to two weeks
1: Okay, thank you for that. You put my mind at ease. It's been less than a week that he was on it. Um we've had a message here from Bridget for you Kim about Thomas. Can I can I read you what she said? Bridget said yes, we, we might have seen Thomas the cat in our garden in Arabian ranches Alvarado 2 in Friday or Saturday. Sorry, I can't be more specific. A grey tabby on back with a white undercarriage. Unfortunately, he was quick to escape Ooh. over the wall before we could check for a collar or take a pick. It is possible that he might have moved from Alarim to Alvarado, so you might need to expand your search. I'll keep a lookout for him. Good luck. And that's from Bridget.
6: Oh, that's, that's really lovely. Thank you so much, Bridget. We have, you know, gone around everywhere, sent all the posters to the security and (laughs) we've driven around most evenings having a look and asking everyone so... I'm. I'm really Fingers just crossed. hoping that he was. He was. Uh, he was spooked on Halloween. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can't think of anything else. And hopefully, he's. He's gonna either find his way back, or someone will find him.
1: Thank you so much, Bridget, for getting in touch. We've got Nurse Kim and Doctor Dushka with us today, taking your questions. Um, great message here from Finn, saying as Christmas is coming, it would be great to remind owners and children not to feed chocolates to dogs unless it's chocolate for dogs very poisonous and life-threatening you're absolutely right if you are decorating your christmas tree first of all early bird second of all chocolate decorations just at the top or not at all and keep things especially especially those dogs who like to get into into your food keep it safely locked away
4: this is pets and vets on afternoons with helen farmer
0: with ProPlan, groundbreaking science life-changing nutrition
1: Joining us from Mike's vet on Hessa Street here in Dubai, Dr. Dushko and vet nurse Kimberly Ballis on hand to take my questions, but most importantly yours. Um, we've just been talking diet there, Dr. Dushko, in a message here saying, is it OK for cats to have treats like Dreamies, Temptations daily, or could they cause kidney stones due to the high sodium levels? That's from Grace.
7: Yes, uh, def- def- definitely we should be very careful, uh, especially with the males or with the cats that had some pre-existing uh, urinary issue, uh, so uh, even if um, um, with all treats we should be careful, like shouldn't be overdosed or something. Usually the manufacturer will say like uh, how um, how much per day should be given. Uh, so uh, even if the if it's the most favorite brand of the cat, maybe not good, not bad. Up the idea is to um, routinely. Uh, take a sample of the urine and uh, and send prior to uh, switching on uh, some treat or uh, during the consuming this treat for like within few weeks, few months, check the urine just to see the pH and to see if there's any uh, stones in in creating or in in traces.
1: Keep an eye on those numbers. All right, and we've had a, a message from Megan, and I wonder, um, Kim, if you can speak to this as a as a pet lover and because um, it's it's. We know how many animals... Are, um, are needing homes in the UAE right now. Um, and Megan's been in touch. I'm looking for some advice um, as we try to decide whether we can offer a loving home to a dog. Me and my husband both grew up with dogs. We've always wanted one. Our two kids are old enough now to be gentle and join on dog walks. The problem is we both work full time. I'm out of the house from 7.30 until 5.00. My husband can be a bit more flexible with working from home some days, can go and later come home earlier. But is it fair to leave a dog for up to four hours at a time? What's been your experience, Kim? And would you say there's any kind of hard and fast rules or even any anecdotal stories you can say based on breed or, or temperament of animals and this kind of time?
6: Yeah, I think, I think you know, we do have to take into consideration some breeds. Um, and sometimes I think the impression is when people are looking to adopt, you know, and we, we encourage everyone to visit shelters and adoption days and speak to the rescuers and see and get that information. But generally... People make the assumption that large dogs need, you know, a lot of exercise. You've got breeds like Salukis, which will actually spend a lot of time lying around, you know, being quite restful and actually enjoy short bursts of energy Mm -hmm. where you might find some of the smaller dogs. I had a Jack Russell. He was a very high energy dog and he needed to be kept busy, but he was small. So I wouldn't recommend, you know, necessarily keeping certain breeds in apartments. So I think as long as you take into consideration the dog, you speak to the rescuers, ask them um, how are the activity levels of the dog. Obviously, depends on age um, and obviously all those other things like how are they with children? You know, have they lived in an apartment before? Do they need a garden? So I think as long as you ask all those questions and if you do live in an apartment, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I live in an apartment. I can't have a dog there are so many dogs here looking for homes. There are always things that we can do to enable us to have dogs in apartments. You know, there is so many daycare facilities. There are licensed uh, pet sitters and dog walkers who can come to your house a few times a week. There are pick up and drop off services. Um, You know, so there's always an option. I think some people make the assumption that they can't have a dog because they're not at home or they don't have the time. And I think with so many dogs needing homes in the UAE, it's great if people can even foster. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always that option. So whichever it is.
1: I think fostering's a, a great suggestion in terms of getting a feel for how that dog could fit into your family. Definitely, you know, that dynamic, definitely. the energy levels. Um, and also, you know, you, you didn't mention this um, specifically, Megan, but also working out the finances as well. You know, it's such a big commitment to take sure. on an animal. So, you know, budgeting for your teeth cleaning and your vet's visits and your food and all of that, because the last thing we want is for a dog to find a happy home and then uh, be looking again um, when it when it doesn't work out. But you're absolutely, absolutely right, Kim, in terms of thinking about, the the personality, not making any assumptions and also there are some great tools as well about keeping a dog mentally stimulated for that time that you are away from the home. So there are lots of ways. We've got one last question. Well, time, we've got lots of questions. We've got time for one last one. This is from uh, Rola. Um, Maybe Dr. Dushko, you can speak to this. It's back to diet again saying, I'm adopting two four month old kittens tomorrow, yay, who are currently living in a foster home. I've just learnt that the foster mum has been feeding them adult cat food for the last um, eight weeks, both kibble and wet food is it safe to transition them back to kitten food any insights there doc Uh,
7: yes it is safe but uh, all uh, always change of the food should be uh, slow and gradually like uh, in first few days introducing like one quarter of the meal with the new food and slowly half half and then switching like within a period of five to seven days Uh, switch to the um, to the new food and of course if there's any unusual like um, sudden change in the stool or vomiting or something then we should um, actually either postpone or even make this um, uh, period even longer so that we give uh, time to uh, digestion system to adjust to to new food especially Mm -hmm. if it's completely new brand new taste new flavored. if it's uh, still within the same brand Usually the process is much uh, much faster and much easier. But uh, yeah, I'm not um, uh, I'm not saying we should not change the the brand at all. Just uh, we need to uh, give more time if it's like a complete change of the taste, flavor, the manufacture. Good
1: advice. Keep it gradual, guys. Thank you so much uh, to Kim thinking of uh, thinking of you and and sending all the returning homing pigeon vibes to Thomas the cat um, and to Dr. Dushko as well. Really appreciate both of your insights over the last hour here on Afternoons with me, Helen Farmer. Wishing you both a wonderful evening ahead and you can find Kim and Dr. Dushko at Mike's Vet there on Hesse Street.